Welcome back to episode number 255 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is a podcast for building a global community around process safety, industries handling combustible dust. I'm your show host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we are discussing typical hazards in grain milling, sifting, and sorting applications. We're doing that with Matt Williamson, Director of Engineering at ADF Engineering, based just outside of Dayton, Ohio. Matt, welcome back to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. Thank you, Chris. It's good to be back. Super excited to have Matt back on. We had him on way back in episode 138 and 143, covering dust hazards in grain elevators, concrete silos, and dust control for groups of concrete silos. Matt has over 35 years experience in process engineering, extensive experience in dust hazard analysis, incident investigation, along with his team down at ADF Engineering across several industries, but they do a lot of work in grain and grain processing and if you remember the previous episodes we did, he has a really detailed and deep knowledge and understanding on this topic, which is why we brought it on today. This topic came from a, actually a help desk question that we got from a gentleman working at a rice milling site in Malaysia. And the question was really open-ended. It was basically, what are, what are combustible dust hazards at rice milling, um, which are a lot different than, than most other grains, um, to my understanding, you know, soy, wheat. And the answer is, well, a lot of <laughs> potential hazards. And it's really hard to see from over here in Canada what, where your hazards are in Malaysia. Um, but that being said, we walked him through some information, provide some resources, and got him connected with some uh, local professionals in Malaysia through dust aid professionals that could get onto the site and, and do a hazard assessment. But through kind of thinking through that process, I thought, well, wouldn't it be nice if we had some, you know, some information to share with this gentleman or anyone else that's got kind of questions about these types of hazards and doing a hazard assessment. That was the genesis of this idea, reaching back out to Matt and saying, hey, you know, do you want to cover this on the podcast? We're actually going to do this in two episodes, I think. Uh, we'll see how the conversation goes. But in the start, we are going to cover typical hazards in grain milling, sifting and sorting applications. And then thinking that we're going to come back on the podcast next week and cover the hazard analysis, hazard assessment, dust hazard analysis process for that, because there's quite a bit to cover. And today we're going to talk about what does a grain milling application look like typically? What are the different hazards? Um, we're going to talk about smoldering and material heating at the site and some of the precautions that might be needed there. And then anything else that we should be looking at for hazard assessments. So Matt, it has been, has been a while since we had you back on in episode 138 and 143. Can you remind folks, what is your role in industry's handling combustible dust and what kind of groups do you typically work with? Uh, so we're an engineering firm, and as part of what we do, we do dust hazard analysis. So we do actually do the DHAs. We partner with uh, a lab to do testing to determine combustibility. Then we uh, actually conduct the DHAs themselves, or we will come in after uh, another party has done a DHA to help to do the engineering design of implementation of mitigation equipment based on recommendations from a DHA, or we, if we're following our own DHA, we uh, will immediately provide some of those recommendations specific to the types of equipment or mitigation solutions that uh, uh, may be available as options, and then we'll proceed on with the, the design of that. So, okay. yeah, I was going to say, uh, it is helpful to speak with groups like this that do both you know, all sides of the equation, really, the hazard assessment to implementing safety solutions. Sometimes when you get one or the other, you have blind spots, right? If you have somebody That's who's correct. very used to checklist style DHA, they may not, you know, 
they may make recommendations based off that that aren't can't be implemented. That's correct. Um, for whatever engineering solution. So, and then and then likewise, you know, you have folks that really specialize in dust collection or really specialize in explosion protection or really specialize in um, industrial hygiene and cleaning. They may miss stuff on the other side of the trying to understand what all the current all the full scope of hazards are. So it's good to have that background. Yeah, let's talk about let's talk about grain milling. I guess that's the topic of this the topic of this this episode. And like I said, the the question that came in was I think two senses. Hello, I'm in in this country, and what are the hazards associated with rice milling? Um, which is which is a huge question. So maybe on your side, let's break it down a bit. Um, what does a, a grain milling application look like? And let's sort of talk about that, and then that will lay the backdrop or the framework for talking about the hazards. Absolutely. So there are not a lot of differences from one grain mill to the next, but as it pertains to the type of grain, whether it be rice or soybeans or wheat or rye. And uh, there are essentially two types of mills. There are the dry mills and the wet mills. And the wet mills have quite a bit more complexity. They're trying to draw more materials by separating the grains into different portions. A dry mill tends to be quite a bit more straightforward, but tends to have more of the dust hazards associated with it. And in a typical mill, the first area that you'll come across, which is one of the more hazardous areas actually in the process, is when you're unloading grain. And you start out by unloading, whether it be from trucks or from rail cars. Either way, it tends to be a bottom unload into a pit. From that pit, you will have uh, some sort of conveyor. It could be a drag conveyor. It can be a, a screw conveyor to typically to an elevator which will take the material out of the pit and into a series of conveyors that will take the grains into silos or to a dryer, or you may cycle around a dryer from the silos. And those dryers tend to be an area where fires have tended to occur in of some frequency. And uh, many of those dryers are direct fired. They use propane and they'll have propane cylinders right next to those. And there's a source of direct flame. There's a source of ignition. So these, these are an area of particular concern, uh, these grain dryers. And the importance of that is the material when it's unloaded tends to be quite wet. After a dryer, you may go through a cleaner typically, and that is to take out junk and trash and leaves and and rats and all of the things that might be might come in with the grain from a farm. The cleaner then, after going through the cleaner, it's going to go back to an elevator and back to a set of silos. Often these are just metal bins. Uh, they tend to be very large, but sometimes they can be concrete. Uh, and you'll see those large banks of concrete silos, which as we've talked in, the, in a past podcast about the uh, the difficulties of isolating and dealing with smoldering materials and things that cause fires in these concrete silos and the fact that they are located in a honeycomb type pattern where the wall of one is the wall of the next so it's impractical or impossible to isolate one from the next they have shared walls they have shared vents they go together to a common distribution conveyor on the top so if an explosion occurs in one it goes up through the conveyor comes back and now hits the next one and so on it begins a chain reaction 
So those that's an area of particular concern in a grain mill is just in the in the elevator storage. After this, the after storage, the grains will be conveyed typically again through a bucket elevator to some sort of dehulling operation uh, is often the case. That's certainly true with rice. It's true with soybeans, where you'll remove first pods and then hulls. And those pods and hulls are large fibrous components that will be taken typically by a pneumatic system and blown over to another grinder, uh, another type of mill, which will then grind up the pods, grind up the holes, put those into a bin that will later go into some sort of animal feed. And the ground holes, ground pods are another area where smoldering can occur, where, especially if it gets wet, where fires and explosions have been known to occur. After dehulling, depending on what you're trying to do here, you might go through, if it's an oil extraction facility, it may go through a preconditioner and then into an expelling press or through a um, chemical extraction, a chemical extractor, trying to get the oil out. And then you take the, the pulp that remains or you take the material if you're not trying to draw oil and you go right into a hammer mill. And that's where the milling occurs. You're taking the, uh, the grain down to a, a smaller size, after which you will screen it. Overs will get recycled back, uh, whereas the unders tend to go, the fines tend to go straight on through. From that, it will go back to storage. And now you've got material that is essentially a dust in long-term storage, uh, again, where smoldering and fires can occur. After that, you'll screen it. To go to packaging, you may go over a magnet, a metal detector, and then into what is often the biggest dust generator in the entire grain milling facility, which is loadout. When you're taking these, these materials and dumping them into the top, typically of a bulk truck. Uh, sometimes that'll go into a rail car, but most often these, are, these ground meals are going into a bulk truck. And this is a very, very dusty operation. If you don't have a dust collection hood over the truck, it can be very, very challenging. And especially if you only have one spout and you have to move the truck, then it becomes impossible to contain the dust that's generated as you're loading out a truck. So covering all of this, all the whole process from unloading to loadout, you'll have dust collection. And these dust collectors will draw from the elevators, from the conveyors, from the mills, from essentially every part of the process. And you may have one very large dust collector at the end of the line at the loadout connected to something like a hood over the truck loadout or on around the spouts. You may have uh, you may be drawing dust collection from the annulus around uh, an indexing spout that is feeding a truck. So these dust collectors tend to be very, very large, and they are very, very hazardous from a dust combustibility standpoint. So they have to be designed the right way up front because it's very, very hard to take an old facility and upgrade these to make them compliant with, for combustible dusts. That's a really good detail. I got a, I got a very long photo or picture that I've drawn <laughs> based on. Yes. And so that's the, I mean, you could imagine 
that is the response to the question of what are hazards associated with gray millet. <laughs> and I do want to I want to highlight a couple of key points here. So if I broke it down to a really like to a one sentence version of this, um, which doesn't near do it justice, but we have truck unloading getting pulled into storage and drying, then getting pulled into sifting and cleaning, then getting pulled into storage and drying again, then getting into the actual milling process, which is quite different, right? Depends on it depends what on you're what doing you're with doing, the holes, what you're doing, what you're with doing the product. Yep, yeah. the oil, what product you want out. And then you have loading and, and you have loading. And then attached to all that, you have dust collection systems or system. And you made, I think you, I wrote it every time you wrote, every time you said, this area can be very hazardous. I wrote a letter. <laughs> so I have A with the truck unloading, B with the dryer, C with the the um, storage silos after the, the cleaning, right. D with the whole milling Mill. process. E with the loading and then F with the, the dust collection system attached to it all. Um, <laughs> that, that covers it pretty well. <laughs> we should create a one page download for this, just to, just to have it for this episode. So that's the, the complexity of what you're trying to deal with here. And it's, it's interesting too, uh, you would have seen at least two orders of magnitude more grain mills than I have, certainly in person and, you know, see a number of different layouts. The, the layout's going to be different too, right? Sometimes the mill it is be, yes. a five-story building that, the mills are all on different levels and you have roller mills and brake mills and hammer mills and, and it gets cycled through the building or other times it can be more of a, a longer process if that makes any more. Like there's different configurations that kind of come into play here as well. Is that true? Yes. I've seen some mills in some very strange places. Uh, I've seen facilities where you have several different grains running through a process and all of the mills gathered together in one large room full of mills, which is an extremely dangerous way to do it. Another place I've seen mills is right under the silos in the skirt space underneath a grain silo, which you can imagine the confined space that you're you're looking at and an ideal situation for a combustible dust explosion is exactly that, a mill in the skirt space under the silo. I've seen mills outside, inside, yeah, you name it. Yeah, we've seen... This is actually from an article written by the late Dr. Rolf Ekhoff of a fish food plant in Norway. And, and yeah, the, the mill was directly underneath the silos. And then the storage tanks were directly underneath that, like in one line. One big vertical stack. Vertical, yeah, one big vertical stack. And you can imagine, actually, the real problem that happened there was the, the bottom one, they couldn't get it to, op, to run off, like uh, to have enough material to flow through the process and not have too much in one and the other. So they just ran it basically with the second one on the bottom empty and it just had dust in the walls. These are big silos. So as soon as the mill ignited and you have this gigantic volume that had a dust above the MEC, but not, you right. know, not very much. And it uh, shot 50, 60 foot flames out of the top of the, that vertical stack, that you building. You put the ignition housing. source right above the fuel. Yeah. And I, I will, I'll try to grab the reference to that because we did a nice article. It's a bit of a tribute to Dr. Back off as well, because um, we found the original photographs from a library in Norway of that site before the explosion, and then we matched up with his write-up of, of what happened um, as, a, as a bit of a tribute. So I'll try to grab that and throw it in the show notes for this at dustsafetyscience.com slash 255. So lots of different, and lots of different hazards. You, you kind of went through the different hazards that might be a concern. I want to talk about smoldering and fires in a second, but I do want to stay on explosion hazards for a moment as well. Um, I had three kind of questions that might come up and some of these will probably bleed into the hazard assessment 
episode we'll do next week. But you did mention wet versus dry mills. Yes. You said dry mills or wet mills are, are more complicated, but maybe has less hazards. Can you just, this big image that I drew here, how might it change with a wet mill or are we less concerned about certain areas? Like, can we just talk a bit about what, what the difference might be if you're, you're considering a wet mill instead? Well, the complexity associated with a wet mill is that you're going to take a material, typically corn, and mill that not just into a fiber like a like a hull or a pod and a a starchy type meal. With a wet mill, what you're trying to do is you're trying to separate that corn into multiple portions. So the outside part, uh, the fiber casing of the corn will go to one part of a process, then you have a germ that will go to another area that tends to be full of oil. So you're typically trying to get the oil out of the germ. And then you've got uh, a glutinous material that'll go yet another place. And from the uh, the endosperm of the, of the corn is where you'll, you'll find starch. Starch may get converted to ethanol, or you may be trying to make a sugar. Uh, like a high fructose corn syrup, that sort of thing. So you take corn, you make a lot of materials out of it. And a wet mill is a way to get through that process. The part of the wet mill, though, means that when the material is wet, you're not going to be as dusty while you're you're milling a wet a wet material. But at the end of the process, you've got a lot of different materials that have different combustibility characteristics. And eventually, it's a dry product at the end of the line. So now you're loading out, you're loading out germ, you're loading out starch, you're loading out gluten, corn gluten meal, or you're loading out fiber or fiber pellets. And all of those have different characteristics from a combustibility standpoint. But yeah. so oh, what you're gaining with a wet mill by milling wet and, and mitigating some of your dust while it's wet, you're dealing with more complexity at the end of the line. Yeah, it makes sense. So that's kind of helpful for folks to see. If you're adding, if you're doing it under wet mill, then you may not hazard have hazard combustible dust explosion hazards at least at different sections where it's wet. But once the material is dried, and at the other side, you you may have you, know, you may have more problems. Yeah, you, <laughs> might have, you might. We see that in other applications like metal pigments, where they want to do stuff wet to get rid of the dust hazard, but then they also want the product dry. So then you got to dry right. it through screens and sieves and, and end up moving the hazard from cutting operation or grinder or whatever it is to that drying operation, then you have an explosion there. You just sort of play whack-a-mole exactly moving right. it around the site. That's exactly right. And when it comes to smoldering, that wetness, that little bit of moisture is the worst thing you can do. Because when it's a little bit wet and it's very fine, then it tends, grains of course are organic and they tend to degrade. So what's going to happen is you're going to have a decomposition, you can have a decomposition of the grain material which can will then start to generate heat that often is deep within a pile so sometimes you might have flat storage with piles on flat storage concrete there it's easy to see the smolder you can see the smoke but if you're in a silo especially if you're in those concrete silos and you start to get a smolder it's deep down in that pile and you may not see the smoke you may not be able to detect a hot spot because that hot spot is going to be deep in there. You're not going to be able to see it. Well, let's talk about that a bit. Um, I do have a, a couple other hazard assessment stuff on the explosion, but I'll, I'll save those for the, the hazard assessment episode as well. 
I, I did have a couple notes here. I mean, I did find some resources. So I pulled the fish meal as a combustible dust review of a 1975 fish meal plant explosion. Um, that was in issue four of the Dust Safety Journal on page 31. Um, we'll include a link to that in the show notes for anyone that wants to read that case study. And then you did a good job of explaining on the what the different elements of a, a corn kernel are. Anyone that's interested in that, there's a really good image of it in the factual update for Didion Milling, which was released a couple of years ago by the Chemical Safety Board. They have a nice picture of a kernel of corn and then the endosperm brand germ and endosperm or hard and soft endosperm. And that's what we're kind of talking about here. The grain, yeah. the grain's different and what you're trying to get out is different, but that one grain piece, we're trying to in a mill, and I didn't realize this until I saw this picture. That's why I bring it up. It's like you're trying to get those different pieces out and extract them, whether it's the gluten or whether it's the starch, whether it's the part they want to ship off to create ethanol or oils. That's the whole point of these kind of mills at the end of the day. Yes, that's right. So there's a lot of different materials you're trying to get out of grain. Rice, you're not trying to separate so much. With rice, you're really just trying to get to uh, a rice starch. You might get gluten out of it, but uh, you're you're not trying to extract a lot of oil from a rice mill. Well, and you, you kind of made a good point before we start recording that, although a pure rice mill might not be as common here, you do see them as added in as additives to other food processing yes, lines. Yes, very commonly. Are, are very similar. Correct. So we do a lot of work in the pet food industry. And within the pet food industry, you're taking a lot of different grains and com- compounding them together to make a a pellet or a kibble that may have rice, it may have parts of that corn gluten meal, it may have uh, other things that come from barley or uh, rye, or in other places where uh, where we've done I've done DHAs for the dry milling portion at the front end of its distillery, and a distillery is going to bring in that combination of barley and rye and corn. And bring all three of those, all those things together to create a blend that's going to be turned into a mash to make an alcohol. And it may be uh, drinking alcohol. It may not be, it doesn't have to be a fuel alcohol. So let's, let's cycle back to smoldering. So the other note on the Didion Milling investigation that I'll put there is um, when I sent you these outlines and we, we had them on schedule between then and now when we're recording, the Didion Milling investigation by the U.S. Chemical Safety Board has been released. And so this discussion is pretty timely. We will include links to the Didion Milling investigation report. It's quite long, a couple hundred pages. Um, but they actually, a lot of the types of hazards that we're talking about here were applicable there. And then certainly smoldering and fire was the um, initiating cause of the explosion that happened there. I, I haven't got to the end of the report. I'm about three quarters way through, but I assume that's the, that's the summary at the end, at least from reading the incident investigation. So I, I will get to the end and, and confirm that. But so this discussion that we're having is, is quite important in those considerations. So let's talk smoldering fires, burning masses. So you mentioned one already. If the materials are wet and this typically would apply in the silos, then you can get smoldering. It's deep-seated and deep-rooted, hard to detect, hard to extinguish once it is detected. That's exactly right. Big headache. What other fire, either flaming or smoldering or you know scenarios come up? at grain mills that we should be adding into our checklist of things you should be thinking about or that you've seen, I guess, from your experience that that cause issues? Well, the other thing that we have absolutely seen and have been brought in kind of after the fact, after there's been an explosion or after there's been a fire, typically the the ones that 
have caused the most difficulties have been have occurred right after unloading. When you're bringing material that may still be wet, you may not have dried it, and you're trying to put it into a silo. And some of those materials may have a lot of fines in them because you haven't, at this point, done any any real sifting. And some of those may or tend to have a very low ignition energy, which means they're going to be susceptible to brush static discharge. And that's something we've seen. In loading silos, we've seen brush static build up to the point where a fire will be ignited in a pile and you continue to put fuel on top of it as you're as you're unloading a unloading a truck that eventually might explode and we've seen that now in multiple situations uh we've seen that where materials were put into a silo that that silo was not designed for so the uh companies will try will try to do uh, a trial run of a new formulation or a new put a different material into a system that it was not intended to hold and they end up with some surprises and some of those surprises are often things like uh you've built up enough of a static discharge and now you've got a fire in that silo and they find that they don't they can't get the material out of the silo that's the key once you've got a smolder once you've had an explosion and maybe you've blown explosion panels at the top of your bin they find it very very difficult to get the material out of that bin so uh we'll we'll find we'll come in after the fact and have found clients who have literally cut open the bottom of their bin or cut large holes in it just to try and get the material out to stop the smolder and the fire yeah we've had emails it's like the silo's been burning for two weeks what do we do exactly <laughs> they can't put it out and that's one thing is the the fire departments they can't they can't put it out as long as it's in that silo it's just going to keep burning and burning and burning so the only way you're ever going to get that fire out is to get the material out onto the ground and there are not always provisions for that in the designs of those silos and bins to be able to quickly evacuate that material from the bin. And that's where problems happen. I will, I'll make a note to the, the audience that's listening. You'll know if you listened last week, if this isn't your first time listening, I've listened last week. I talked about this, uh, we called it the chimney effect when fighting grain dryer fires in last week's episode. And this was something from a gentleman called, I think it was Claudio Ronca, Roncha. I don't have the, the right way to say his name here in front of me, but I would have said it last week, hopefully correctly, from Argentina. And he talked about when the dryer has fans on top and you get a smolder, then it acts like a chimney and draws that in and oxygenates the fire, makes it really hard to, to put out. And that those right. fans should have a flap on top. So you just close the thing. <laughs> And at least stop that auction. He 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 actually pointed out on a video we showed about an incident in 2018 that had a fire. And he said, "You notice the fans are turning in that video. Do you know why?" And and said, "Well, no." And he said, "Well, the power's off. They're turning because that's actually drawing fresh air from the outside in and turning the fans." Quite quite interesting conversation that I had with him uh, a number of years ago, and then we finally got on the podcast last week. So we got these two areas. We had smoldering. You know, loading and unloading, and you talk about static buildup in those areas. What about um, like plugging? That's something that we see quite a bit. Grinders, mills, 
sort of getting jammed and then that repetitive action against the grain causing a, a fire or on bucket elevators as well you you might see yeah. this you see that certainly, as a cause certainly, an area? yeah certainly we've seen that in bucket elevators uh that's that's a common thing to occur a common theme uh when it comes to the discharge of bucket elevators or maybe a uh, a conveyor uh immediately following a bucket elevator may get jammed or plugged and you'll get material that that builds up in the at the end of those conveyors that will begin to back up eventually that hits the elevator and plugs the whole thing and yep. uh that that's that's a common theme when it comes to bucket elevators so the reason i bring up these this area is we've seen it time and time again and we there's not really great guidance on this we created a working group a few years ago to create guidance with some experts and and, and weren't able to to get to the finish line but the the type of stuff we we're talking about in there is challenges with identifying a fire or smoldering challenges to responding without causing it to escalate and the challenges in recovering and all three have issues so you you mentioned a deep-seated smoldering in a silo that that's one of many cases where it's hard to identify if there's a fire then there's lots of cases to respond so not causing a deflagration when you're responding either by shooting hoses in the top of the headspace and causing a dust to kind of disperse and, and cause a deflagration or open access hatches and then recovering and that's recovering is the one we've seen a lot of these when you get the the mill or like the hammer mill or the gap mill we've seen it where they clean it out they open it up but they don't get all the smoldering and then when you turn the system back on as soon as that pneumatic air hits then you have an explosion that's propagates and we did an interview with uh, dr suzanne smith way back in episode back in episode 100 and nope back in episode 78 kate's study grain milling dust explosion at a milling facility out a paper that she did with the exponent and her, her colleagues there on that exact case so they had i i believe a gap mill that had a smolder the site came in and opened it up shut things down cleaned it out and then a day came crew came on the next day expected it everything looked clear turn it back on as soon as it turned on an explosion propagate throughout the entire system up six stories or five stories across the roof line back down to a dust collector on the fourth floor blew out the the vents on the dust collector but also blew out the access hatch back in the building and took the corner off the building so identify respond and recover that all kind of comes into emergency response planning which it's timely because those considerations are the same sort of things that are mentioned in the Didion Milling report and that they had experienced several fires in the years leading up to the deflagration. I didn't really prep you for this so much, but any words on responding to fires, emergency response plan development, identifying, responding, recovering, like anything in, in that sort of realm that you've seen that you know, think folks should be doing a better job at or at least looking at more critically? So one of the issues that we tend to see, and as I, I mentioned, how difficult it can be when you have these fires inside of silos. It's practically impossible for the fire departments to get in there to access those. And and they'll they'll run hoses up to the tops of these bins and you can usually get it get to them at the top, but here you're trying to get to the top of a bin that's that's got a fire inside. So it's not the safest thing and then you're opening you're opening parts of it with smoke coming out and you're trying to dump water uh in mass into these into these bins so it's a real mess jump in it's really difficult just, just uh, oh i like you up i don't want to put an asterisk here we've seen lots of firefighters injured and, and fatally injured mm. from that scenario when the exactly. declaration happens and knocks them off so that's a critical critical area I don't know the guidelines, but um, I'm going to say as non-engineering advice, as, as qualitative advice, 
you shouldn't be on the silo in the first place unless that's you right. have to be. That's right. It'd be much better to have a truck ladder or whatever. I'm not a, I'm not that great in, in understanding how to fight fires, but I know we've seen here in, in North America and the U.S., we've seen a couple of fatalities and overseas we see every year firefighters be injured and, and die that way. So I just want to put that That's as an exactly asterisk. Right. And then, um, sorry, you, you go ahead and describe the rest of the scenario as well. Yeah, you're right where I was going, is that they shouldn't be up there. And unfortunately, the designs of these facilities often don't consider that access or to be able to provide emergency response vehicle access to get to the tops of these of these silos without having to climb something or they don't have access for the trucks in the areas around these bins so if you look at those concrete silos they're often not accessible anywhere around and to put out a fire inside of one of those tall concrete silos the only place you can go is above it and so now you're standing on a place that that could explode so it's that's the difficulty. And the right way to do that is to design that up front the right way so that so that they can access access that from their own ladders and not from having to be on top of that equipment. Yeah, that's a great point. And I would I'll add another annoying scenario that would come up because it's going to be covered at our at our dust safety conference in a few weeks after we record this. But I think this episode will actually come out after the, the conference. We have uh Adrian Prazio and, and Parker McNeil with Jensen Hughes talking about a risk assessment in Halifax, Nova Scotia, which is my, well, an hour of my away from my hometown, but where I lived for many, many years. Um, and in that case, they actually built residential almost directly into all these, all these concrete sites. So there's no way, like there's houses and gigantic apartment buildings called the granary lofts in the way. And that presentation is going to cover a risk assessment if, if there's a solid explosion, what the impact is going to be on the balconies of those granary lofts. I think it'll be eye-opening for folks, but yeah, there's there's all kinds of challenges with getting to these things. I didn't really think about it as much as you're describing it, though. Like even getting the apparatus, getting the trucks back there or close enough to be able to access it. Yeah, yeah it's it's a real there. problem. I mean, you talk about a great case study. Look at what happened in uh, West Wego yeah. in Louisiana in 1977, and that was where there was an explosion in a group of concrete silos that was not expected. They weren't even operating that day. And one of those silos fell over and crushed a building that was occupied. And there were over 30 fatalities in that particular incident in 1977 in, in Louisiana. And because of that, now in NFPA 61, as, as it exists today, you're not allowed to have an occupied building within 50 feet of a concrete silo. And I wonder sometimes if even that is enough. And if you've got buildings, if you've got equipment, so you'll often find the dust collectors right up against those silos or even worse on top of those silos. And if there's going to be an explosion, if there's going to be a fire, it's going to be the dust collector. And if you put the dust collector on top of a 200 foot tall concrete silo, how is anyone supposed to get to it? And, and you don't want them up there anywhere, <laughs> anyway, yeah, or exactly. or close by when the thing comes flying off the yeah. The, the worst place, the worst place to put a dust collector is on top of a on the in the head house or on top of a group of concrete silos because what's going to happen if there's an explosion in that dust collector? It's going to blow an explosion panel and throw a fireball across the silos where there tends to be piles of grain from all the maintenance and cleaning of all of the drag conveyors that feed those concrete silos. 
So there's generally a lot of fuel up there, and you've just aimed the flamethrower at it yeah. in a place where emergency responders cannot access. Well, I think we did it, Matt. I think we convinced people that there's some hazards in grain. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> grain milling applications. Well, look um, at the I, statistics. Yeah, well, and, and, you, and, and yeah, you make a good point there. I think we'll probably call it on a successful discussion of all the hazards. I want to come back and record another episode on this. On okay, well, what how do what do we make of this? We will start to assess the the hazards and and understand them, categorize them, and and figure out an implementation plan on safety. You know, how how do we start to uncover some of those things? And that's where I cover next week in the podcast. Anything you want to leave folks off on today before they they tune in next week for the the next episode? Yeah. So uh, in the next episode, we'll talk about how to avoid uh, some of these pitfalls, some of these uh, some of these hazards, because as we point out today, there are a lot of them. Yep. You got it. Okay. Well, we're done part one then of the help desk <laughs> question of hazards with with uh, rice and or grain milling. Uh, appreciate the audience listening. Appreciate you, Matt, coming on and look forward to have you back on uh, next week in the podcast as well. Looking forward to it. So you can listen to myself, Dr. Chris Cloney, and Matt Williamson, Director of Engineering at ADF Engineering, based just outside of Dayton, Ohio. And we've been talking about typical hazards in grain milling, sifting, and sorting applications. Again, this is part one of a, a part two series on these type of hazards. In this part one, we're looking at what are the hazards that are involved. And this came off a help desk question that we had somebody reach out for a grain milling site overseas. And at the end of the day, the answer was, well, there can be lots of different types of hazards. And we connected them through dust safety professionals with a couple of experts that can get out to their site and take a look. Um, but we also wanted to be able to create this type of material to start to explore what considerations should people have. Did really good coverage here with Matt. We covered what a typical grain mill might look like, everything from unloading trucks to the storage of that material and the drying of that material through to cleaning, through to, again, storage of the cleaned, sieved material through to the mill and the mill configuration can be quite different depending on what you're trying to do, including dehulling, including using the oils, including getting different parts of the grain, and then loading out the trucks at the end of the day, once you have your raw product or your finished product rather, that you're looking to ship. And then all that's usually tied together with uh, one or more dust collection systems. And those are all uh, critical areas as well. And I put some exclamation marks and some letters here besides the places that Matt said look here for hazards and there was a lot <laughs> basically every every node in the in the diagram has a as an exclamation mark uh, we started talking about some of the differences here we talked about wet milling versus dry milling and we dug pretty deep into fire smoldering challenges identifying responding to and recovering from fires as we see quite often there are there are many dust poisons that just happen in a given piece of equipment without a precipitating fire but there's also many cases where there's a fire or smoldering that precipitates the, the dust explosion incident. And especially in grain milling, where there's so much material, where there can be wet material, where there's a lot of grinders and bucket elevators and transfer equipment. These are all places where you can get to that friction that's high enough or even electrostatic charges to uh, ignite fires and explosions as well. So we covered that quite a bit. The goal here is to lay the groundwork of what are the typical hazards. And then again, we're going to come back next week and talk about, okay, well, you know, what considerations might we be looking at with a dust hazard analysis in this area? I want to thank Matt and the ADF team for the work they do. I um, look forward to seeing you back on the podcast next week. So have a good week ahead. Thank you for listening out there. We really appreciate it.